This sermon was recorded at Grace City Church's Sunday morning service. Thanks for engaging with us online, and we pray that this sermon greatly encourages your faith and walk with God. Okay, well, good morning, and uh, welcome to 2024 Church. Um, it's a beautiful day, so thank you for being with us. You could be doing a whole lot of other things this morning, uh, but I appreciate that you're here um, to spend this first Sunday of the year. Uh, and worship, and you know what a lovely time of worship that was this morning. Not just singing, but really, you know, feeling God's presence uh, among us this morning. Um, so when Mike told me I had free reign to uh, speak on any story out of the Gospels and Acts, I thought, well, that narrows it down a bit. Um, so you know, I gave it a bit of thought, and you know, the the story I'm going to share with you this morning is one that many of you, if you're Christians, will know the story perhaps very well. Um, it's one I'm very familiar with. I've been familiar with it since I was a young child. When I was growing up, my father was what we call an evangelist, and a lot of his work was um, children's work. And about four or five nights a week, he'd go to villages around our area and hold these children's meetings where, I don't know where they came from, but the children just appeared and you know, spent an hour. Um, it was pretty simple. We'd sing choruses, We'd do a memory verse, we'd, um, so simple I can't remember, um, we'd have a quiz, there'd be a story, and that was it. And you could accumulate points for having a Bible, so I always made sure I had my Bible, uh, and for remembering the memory verse the next week, so that always got points, and then at the end, you know, I think I had probably more um, bookmarks with verses on it and pens with verses on it than any other kid in Scotland. Um, but you know... I used to go to all these, and I'd hear these stories, and it was kind of old school. We had no PowerPoints. We had no you know, fancy tech. Um, it was my dad with an overhead projector that he'd carry everywhere, and the acetate, and he was no artist. So he'd, he'd trace out pictures from children's storybooks of these scenes from the Gospels, and then he'd color them in, and he'd show them, and he'd be flipping them all over the place. Um, but, you know, it stuck with me a lot of these stories of Jesus, um, and some of the characters that we learn about in the Gospels. And one of those characters we learn about is Peter. And Peter's one of those characters that, you know, as you kind of grow older, you realize that, you know, he's, he's so typical of the Christian experience in some ways. He's quite relatable. You know, he's, he's got these moments of boldness. He's got these moments of passion, moments of faith. But they're all mixed with moments of fear, moments of denial, um, moments of shame. And, you know, Peter is quite like us in a lot of ways, you know, when we look at him. And it's good to look at the Bible and see people that we uh, can see ourselves in, but lessons that we can learn um, about. So the, the passage I want to read this morning uh, and speak on is uh, found in Matthew chapter 14, um, starting in verse uh, 22. It's up there, which is great. Um, so let's just read through it. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. 
Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is alive, it is powerful. And Father, I just pray that this word itself will speak into hearts this morning. Amen. So, this passage starts with the words immediately. So, you can know something's happened before it. So, you're like, well, what's happened before it? And, you know, this is a story where, as I've read it, I think the context of it is actually quite important. You know, it's not just some random event that sits in isolation on its own. And if we think of the broader context, these events took place about two years into Jesus' ministry, uh, most of which had been spent in the region of Galilee in the northern part of Israel. And the disciples, they've been with Jesus all this time. They've seen the miracles. They've seen his healing power. They've heard his teaching. And they've been sent out themselves to declare the kingdom with healing power and the power to cast out demons. And yet we understand that these disciples, they were still grappling with who Jesus really was. And when we look at the immediate context in chapter 14, um, we read that Jesus had gone off uh, to what the Bible calls a deserted place. He'd gone off to be alone after hearing about the beheading of John the Baptist. And yet because of his popularity at that time and his reputation for healing the sick, people from cities came out and they crowded and they came to where he was um, and they were seeking out for Jesus to heal the sick. And we read that when Jesus saw the crowd, he was moved with compassion and healed their sick. And what a great reminder this morning that the Savior that we serve is filled with compassion. And it's off the back of a long day of healing the sick that one of the most famous miracles in the Bible takes place. It's the only miracle other than the resurrection that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And remember, they're out in the middle of nowhere. In Australian terms, they're in whoop-whoop. And the disciples, they want to send the crowds off at the end of the day to get fed, to get some, uh, get some food, find somewhere to sleep. Um, but Jesus says, no. He says, you are going to feed them. And they, look at, and they must have looked around at each other thinking, well, how are we going to do that? You know, what's the, what's the plan? And then we read that there were 5,000 men, plus, we often call it the feeding of the 5,000, but it says there were 5,000 men plus women and children. So we don't quite know how many there were, but somewhere between 5,000, let's say 20,000. So if you can imagine Brookvale Oval, I don't know if you watch rugby league, but if you imagine Brookvale Oval filled with people, it's probably something around that size of crowd. And yet all they could find were five small loaves and two fish. And the disciples are going, well, what are we going to do with this? It's nothing. You know, this, look at this crowd. What are we going to do? And yet we read that Jesus blessed it. He broke it. And he shared it out among this crowd. And everyone was filled. Not just had a little bit. They were filled. 
And we find that when they were finished, the disciples went round to the 12 baskets and they were filled with the leftovers. And you know, this is an awesome display of Jesus' divine power to this massive crowd. And you know, there are many lessons of that we're not going to spend time on today. But in John's account of this miracle, we read that the people recognized that Jesus was a prophet. They still didn't see who he really was. But you know, the mood of the people was so strong because of what he was doing, because of the miracles, because of the healing, because of how they were feeding, he was feeding them, that Jesus feared that they were going to take him and make him king. They were going to force him to be king. So this is the context of what we're looking at today. You've got a whipped up crowd. They want to make Jesus their king. And what does Jesus do? He packs the disciples off in a boat to go to the other side of Lake Galilee. He doesn't want them whipped up in the frenzy because he knows that that is not the plan. Jesus didn't come to lead an earthly kingdom. He didn't come to lead a rebellion. He'd come to establish a kingdom, but it was a spiritual kingdom. It was a kingdom that they didn't quite understand. And so let's look at this passage from the perspective of the 12 disciples. So if you put, them, put yourself in their shoes, they've had a busy day. They've been with Jesus the whole day. They've probably been organizing the crowd as they've been coming, pressing in to get the people healed. And then at the end of the day, they've been doing the hard work. They've been distributing this food, so probably to a thousand people each. Um, and then they've been going around collecting all the leftovers. So they've, had a, they've been doing a bit of work, the disciples, that day. And now it's the evening, and Jesus has sent them on this journey across the lake. Now, the lake or the sea of Galilee is an inland lake. It's about 21 kilometers long. It's about 13 kilometers wide. So it's a decent-sized decent body of water. And it sits about 200 meters below sea level at the top of the Jordan Rift Valley. And so the disciples set out. I assume they were rowing across the lake. So they're probably tired. It's early evening. They're probably keen to get to the destination pretty quickly, get some sleep. There's probably some chat about what had been happening that day, about the, the miracle, about the feeding, about what they just witnessed. But in Mark's Gospel's account of this story, we learn that they didn't actually understand what had happened. They didn't understand what it meant, this feeding. They still didn't understand who Jesus really was. And then we read that the weather changes. The wind whips up, and what was going to be a tiring journey suddenly becomes an all-nighter. They're battling against the wind. So can you imagine, I don't know, maybe eight, nine, ten hours getting battered by the waves, getting tossed about in this boat in the middle of the lake? You're going nowhere. How much they have felt in the pitch darkness getting battered around in the waves. <clears throat> the lighthearted chat's long gone. The sense of fear, the sense of panic is probably setting in. And they realize that the hopelessness of their efforts trying to get this boat to where Jesus has told them to go. You know, the funny thing is they've been in quite a similar situation, not quite the same, but similar before. We read in Matthew 8, verse 23, um, this, he says, Then he, that's Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Almost the same words um, that they'd heard before. 
And then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So they had the question, who is this man? What, who really is he that he can do these things? But this time Jesus isn't with the disciples in person. And even though he sent them on this journey, even though he's put them in this situation, they feel isolated, they feel alone, and they feel afraid. Now, we know it's past 3 a.m. because Matthew tells us it's in the fourth watch of the night. Now, the, the night was split into four watches. The first was um, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. The second was 9 p.m. to midnight. The third was midnight to 3 a.m. And then the fourth was 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Can you put your hand up if you've ever worked night shift? Night shift, quite a few. Okay. I'll pick on somebody randomly, Claire. Um, who, so what, when you're working night shift, what's the, what's the worst time in a night shift? And this is not pre-planned, so please answer. What's the worst time when you feel your worst during a night shift? At 5 a.m., thank you. That wasn't planned, but thanks for the good answer. Um, <clears throat> seamless, absolute tag team. Um, and yeah, so that, that period as you get to the end of the night after 3 a.m., your body's rhythm is off. You're, you're, you're awake and you're pushing through. So spiritually, you know, physically and mentally, they were at their worst. It was after 3 a.m., it's pitch black, they're feeling terrible. And then suddenly, what do they see? They see this figure on the water. And it's fine for us with hindsight, oh yeah, it was Jesus walking in the water. It, yeah, but they, what? It's somebody walking on the water. Just think about that. In the pitch black, they see this figure on the water, and they are, quite rightly, they're terrified. Yeah, they think it's a ghost. And immediately Jesus says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then we read this amazing little detail in the story from Matthew. It's not covered by Mark, it's not covered by John, but Matthew um, talks about Peter's response, his immediate response is, well, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come on the water. And when Jesus, come, uh, Jesus says, come, Peter steps out. He steps out of the boat, into the storm, trusting Jesus and starts to walk towards him. How amazing for Peter to suddenly be walking in water towards Jesus, and then suddenly the reality kicks in for Peter, and he feels the wind, he sees the waves, and he's suddenly afraid, and he starts to sink. You know, Peter, he's a whole mixture of fear, he's a whole mixture of faith and doubt in that short moment there before Jesus. But importantly, Peter puts all his trust in Jesus, and he says, Lord, save me. And in that moment, Jesus reaches down and grabs him by the hand and pulls him up. And as we pause and just look at this little segment of the story, I just want to share with you a few things that I see when I read this that we may be able to apply in our own lives. Firstly, whatever his motivation, Peter wasn't reckless. He stepped out of the boat in obedience he waited for the Lord's command to step out of the boat. Secondly, Jesus responds to adventurous faith. They were still in the storm. And instead of coming and calming the sea and moving to where they wanted to get to, Jesus stops and takes that time to respond to Peter's adventurous faith. Lord, if it's you, let me come in uh, on the water to you. Thirdly, when we focus on Jesus, we can do great things, even when surrounded by the storm. You know, it's when Peter was wholly focused on Jesus that he was able to walk to him 
underwater. Fourthly, faith unlocks the supernatural. Let's not lose our perspective of what we're reading here. Let's not just take it for granted as another, one of the other miracles. You know, this was an awesome display of God's supernatural ability. Jesus is walking in the water, and Peter's faith that God could make him walk on the water as well. You know, we serve a God who is capable of doing far beyond what we can ever ask or imagine. Fifthly, faith and fear are enemies. Faith and fear are enemies. When Peter began to fear, all of the evidence of his faith disappeared, and he began to sink. Sixthly, you of little faith is what Jesus said to Peter. And yeah, he was kind of rebuking him, but you know, when you think about that phrase, little faith is still faith. It wasn't no faith at all. It may not put you in the hall of faith in Hebrews, but that fire of little faith can be fanned into a great faith. And you could say that the 11 other disciples who were in the boat, they had no faith. And yet Peter has a little faith to step out onto the water. You know, if your faith is weak, but if you step out in obedience to God, God can do great things through little faith. And seventh, when we cry out to Jesus, Jesus is ready to save us. Now, we'll pick up on that shortly, but let's pull back to this whole event, not just from the perspective of the disciples, but from the perspective of Jesus. The 12 disciples have been with Jesus for two years, and Jesus is building the future leaders that are going to go out into the whole world to spread the good news of his kingdom. And yet, so far, they hadn't actually understood, they hadn't grasped who he really was or what he had planned for them. Why were the disciples in this situation? Well, Jesus puts them in this situation. He puts them in the boat, he puts them on the lake, he puts them in the storm. He's put the whole future of his kingdom, in some sense, in that little boat on the middle of the lake. And they are in a place of obedience. They've obeyed him and they've got on the boat. And even though they're in the storm, they're in a place of obedience. We read that once Jesus had dismissed this huge crowd, however he did that, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. So you can imagine you've got this lake. It's 200 meters below sea level. You've got the mountain surrounding it. And he went up to the mountain to pray. He could see the boat on the water. We don't know what he prayed, but we do know from other scriptures the deep passion with which he prayed for his disciples. He prayed for their protection. He prayed for their growth. And he prayed for courage for them. And we read that in another passage that Jesus sees the disciples. And it's pitch black. It's the middle of the night. So he's seen them in the evening, but as, it, as the storm is raging... We read that Jesus, seeing them, you know, they felt all alone, and yet Jesus could see them in the storm. In the evening, he could see them. He could see the boat. He could see where it was. But all through the night, the omniscient one, the all-powerful God could see them in the storm. And that whole time, they didn't realize, but they were exactly where Jesus wanted them to be in that place of obedience, and yet they felt so fearful, and they felt so, so abandoned. And then in a moment that he chooses, Jesus walks in the water to his disciples in the middle of the storm. 
and he calls Peter to walk on the water, and he saves Peter, and he calms the storm. And in verse 33, we read the outcome of this night. This was what it was all about. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. There it is. Suddenly they see Jesus for who he really is. The feeding of the 5,000, they never got it. They didn't see it. All the other miracles, they hadn't grasped it. And yet in this moment, they suddenly see him for who he is. That's what it was all about, that these disciples would grow in faith. They'd grow in the realization that Jesus cares for them. And they'd see that he is truly not just a teacher or a prophet, but is the son of the living God. You know, they went on a spiritual journey that night. They went from fear to faith. They went from worry to worship. And they went from confusion to confession. They said, truly, for certain, most definitely, we know you are the Son of God. And going into 2024, church, maybe it's time for us to move from fear to faith, to see Jesus for who he really is, to move in the power that he intends. You know, Jesus, were intention Jesus was intentional. The disciples were there under his command. They were being trained to be the messengers of his kingdom. Just put yourself in that boat for a minute. And as the storm settles, as the darkness lifts, as the sky lightens just before daybreak, as the shore comes into clear view, as you see Jesus alongside you, what is your response? When you look back over 2023, start of a new year, we always look back and look forward, right? When you look back over 2023, there may have been things that happened that at the start of the year, you never, you never thought would happen. Things that have shaken you, things that have caused you to be fearful. And yet, as we step into 2024, Wes said it, it's not all going to be plain sailing. There may be storms ahead, but know this, the Lord is in control. Will you worry or will you worship? Will you fear or will you show faith? Will you listen for his voice and then step out of the boat in faith and obedience? Stepping out in service, stepping out in obedience, stepping out in faith, stepping out to advance God's kingdom. You know, as I read this passage and as I was preparing for today, you know, I felt there were two messages that the Lord really laid on my heart to share with you this morning. The first message is this. If you're a believer and you've been walking in obedience, but you feel as if you are in the storm, as if the promises of God are a long way off, as if you're getting nowhere in the journey that you're on, if you're fearful, stressed, or worried in your current situation, you may be calling, Lord, where are you? Know this, Jesus sees you in the storm. Jesus is watching over you, and at the right time, he will draw alongside you in a supernatural way. He will calm the storm, and he will call you into what he has planned for you. 
The second message is this, and it's a really simple one, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. When Peter was sinking under the water, what did he cry out? He cried, Lord, save me. And right there we have a picture of Jesus, our Savior, who grabs hold and pulls us from certain death. You know, I love that when we read in Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, this guy, Peter, who's denied the Lord, he's, you know, he's screwed up a few times, right? But it's Peter who steps forward. Of all the disciples, it's Peter, and he boldly proclaims the gospel. And, you know, Peter says these words. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Then he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if this morning, for the first time, you are seeing Jesus for who he really is, as the Son of God who gave himself as a sacrifice to take the punishment for your sin, then I ask you, please do what the 3,000 did on that day of Pentecost and repent and look to, God, look to Jesus for forgiveness today. Thank you for listening to this sermon. To engage with Grace City Church further, please check out our website, gracecitychurch.net, where you can find links to our socials. Or come visit us in person. All are welcome. God bless.